July 1937, the world's most famous woman pilot disappears during her attempt to circumnavigate the globe. In 1988, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, a small nonprofit known by its acronym TIGER, began a science-based investigation of the Earhart disappearance. Decades of forensic research and a dozen South Pacific expeditions have now produced hard evidence from multiple disciplines to provide the long-sought answer to the riddle. In this series of conversations with Joan Sachs, Tiger Executive Director Rick Gillespie takes us step-by-step step through the adventures, the setbacks, and the discoveries that uncover the evidence that has solved aviation history's greatest mystery. Hi, I'm Joan Sachs. Like many of you, I've read newspaper and magazine articles, and I've watched television documentaries about Tiger's adventures and discoveries. As a member of Tiger, I've participated in research, and I know there is so much more to the story that has never been told. I've known Rick Gillespie and his wife, Tiger co-founder Pat Thrasher, for many years. So when Rick asked me to help him bring the behind-the-scenes story of Tiger's Earhart expeditions to the public in a series of podcast episodes, I enthusiastically agreed. Over the years, there have been 12 Tiger expeditions to the South Pacific, and we've organized the podcast into seasons. To follow the progress of the investigation, you'll want to listen to the episodes and seasons in order. For newcomers, we make it easy to catch up with the story so far by publishing a compilation at the end of each season. Now let's get to the next episode. Hi, Rick. At the end of the last episode, you were headed to Fiji to begin the 2015 expedition. You said you felt this would probably be Tiger's last chance to find the wreckage of Amelia Earhart's Lockheed Electra in the water off the northwest coast of Nicomororo, but you were apprehensive that there was not enough funding to equip the ROV contractor with a backup unit. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> we had brought backup ROVs on both the 2010 and 2012 expeditions and never used them. But going without a spare ROV still made me nervous. Almost like, sounds like bad luck to start with. It's like taking an umbrella so it won't rain. Yeah. Um, so, well, how did it go? Did you get off to a good start? Yeah, we did. Uh, our 14-person team and all the equipment arrived in Fiji on time. The equipment that was too heavy and bulky to come as checked baggage was shipped FedEx, and they did a good job. But the truth is, FedEx was also the chief reason our funding had come up short. How? how? What happened? Well, look, for 20 years, FedEx had sponsored Tiger's shipping needs with free service. Wow. But that was because FedEx founder and CEO Fred Smith was a Tiger fan. Oh. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, years and years ago, we had a member who was head of communications for Dassault Falcon Jet in New Jersey. Ah. They're, they're a French company, but their headquarters in New Jersey. And he was going to put out uh, like a company magazine for all Falcon Jet customers. It was just called Falcon Magazine. Hmm. And FedEx used Falcon 20s for their their first 
Chicago Jets oh. when they were still a fairly small company and Fred Smith was running it. And so Fred Smith got a copy of Falcon Magazine. And this Tiger member who ran Falcon Magazine said, "I for this premier issue, our first issue of this magazine, I want something really cool, something exciting. And I think maybe if you wrote an article about um, inventing aviation archaeology, you know, ah. that, that might be fun. I said, yeah, let me give it a try. And, and I put something together for him and gave him some pictures. And how long had Tiger been in existence at that point? Quite a few years. So you yeah. had some things under your oh, belt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had already started. We had, of course, worked on Project Midnight Ghost right. for a, quite a while. And then we had already started the Earhart Project. And, and it was in the early years of the Earhart Project. Okay. And had you had expeditions already to oh, yeah. discuss? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'd done a couple. Oh, cool. At, at least. And so I wrote the article. And we were, we were actually out in Minnesota at a team meeting getting ready for another expedition. Mm-hmm. And I got a phone call from the communications director at FedEx. Really? They, they had somehow tracked us down. They knew where I was staying. I, I've forgotten how he knew that. <laughs> but it says, yes, um, Mr. Smith would like to provide Tiger with, uh, with free shipping as a way of oh, support. Gosh. Because he really enjoyed your so article. So they actually and, sought you out to do yeah, that. That's, yeah, I, it's well, not that like makes, I made some a, great pitch to FedEx right. for support. They came to me. That is really and, cool. And that for 20 years, anything we wanted to send out that would no, we didn't want to send regular mail, we could just FedEx it. It didn't cost wow. anything. And boy, we used it too. That is, that's a great benefit. And course for expeditions it was fantastic because we could fedex stuff to fiji right and uh save tons of money and we thought we were going to be able to do it for this trip but when fred retired there was new management and they made changes to the company's charitable giving policies and tiger became a victim of the new priorities oh my unfortunately that happened Without warning, about two weeks before the departure of the 2015 expedition, oh, you're we found this out at the last minute, and suddenly we had to pay for shipping that we had budgeted as free in-kind donations. Wow, and that's a lot. Oh, it was, came, it was the difference was about seventy thousand dollars. Wow, and that's why there was no backup ROV. Yeah, we oh, just gosh. couldn't. It was all we could do to afford to send the one. Yeah. So. Oh, my. All right. Jeez. Yeah, off to a good start. Sort of. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> about in, that. <laughs> at least we're in Fiji. Oh. So our departure date was uh, June 8th, 2015. Mm-hmm. We, we flew into Nandi and met Naya at uh, Latoka which is not far from Nandi, you know, 10, 12 miles. And got everything aboard and got underway. And God, how many, this was like the fifth, sixth time we'd use Naya. It was, it was all so familiar. Uh, We knew the crew and for the, for this trip, the, um, the co-owner Rob Barrel was coming along with us. And in addition, we had a great captain. 
but it was all all so familiar there at, at, at the at the dock you know you got everything aboard and you know let go forward let go aft you know, the great <laughs> sailing of the expeditions that we've done so many times before of course in the local waters it's calm so right. everything's fine you know you're going along but late on the first day you clear out of sheltered Fijian water into open ocean and you feel that first big heave <laughs> under the deck oh no here we go i remember this part oh god uh, we were making like eight knots and uh, hoping that the increase that was forecast in the wind would let us hoist the sail and pick up another knot or two which meant we could possibly get to Niku a day early. Oh, that'd be a bonus. We were supposed to get there on the 13th. We might be able to make it by the morning of the 12th. That would wow. give us an extra day. That that would be great. Hmm. And ship really busy. You know, everybody's trying to get everything ready. And, and uh, we had some of our team members who were real athletes. They run marathons, do triathlons, and they were trying to stay in shape. And they... They've got some uh, resistance bands set up for like exercises, <laughs> and they're working out it, until the sea starts rolling, Ooh. and uh, that kind of changes the picture. By the second day out, the wind had picked up. We got the sail up, and we were honking, yeah, you know, nine and a half knots. Oh wow! Which is good for Naya. Yeah, we're we're, we're still on. Schedule, we we still may be early at Niku, but the, the seas are getting rougher. The wind's good. The oh. boat's moving, but Naya is rocking and rolling. I mean, it's just... Oh. Uh, when it's like that, you have to decide. Are, if, 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 if you take the medications that keep you from spending most of your time leaning over the side, <laughs> you're groggy, you don't feel like doing anything... So it's take your choice, you know, take your meds or take the consequences. Oh, jeez. And so most people do take the meds, and it's the ship of the living dead. I mean, <laughs> that there's does nothing not going sound on very after fun. That. Uh, and it it was rough. It was a rough passage. Oh. By the third day out, we're about halfway to Niku. The mm-hmm. Third day out, we're still ahead of the, the the original schedule, but we're still just. Rocking and rolling and 45 degree. Wow, all wow. day, like all day, all oh, night. Yeah. That's how you were. Yeah, and wow. everything you do is centered around not falling and getting hurt. Really? Because, uh, and, and meals are really interesting. <laughs> You're sitting there in the salon at the table, they'll, they'll put down wet cloths under the, the plates mm-hmm. so they don't go. Pitching sliding off the table, which works most of the time, (laughs) but not all the time. But you you can get used to anything. We had some really sophisticated communications gear for that trip. Uh, One of our divers was also uh, a ham radio operator and uh, really into the more sophisticated communication technologies. And we had what was called an iridium pilot open port broadband station that oh. he had set up. He had tested it at the company he runs in hmm. in the States, got all the bugs worked out of it, and then had worked 
in port with Naya to get the right antenna set up on Naya for it. To communicate with the correct satellite for down yeah, there? Yeah, we, we huh. had satellite communication like we'd never had before. Before, we just had handheld satellite phones. Right. Uh, which were okay for just conversation. But now we can actually send texts and photographs. Oh, wow. So, oh, so that's fun. We would, uh, during the expedition, I would be able to take photographs and then email them back to Pat in mm-hmm. Tiger Headquarters so when she writes up the daily expedition reports, she can include real photographs of what, wow. what we're doing. And she was publishing that every and, day and on your website? she was publishing it on the Tiger website. Oh, so that's exciting to every be day. able to so follow on like that. Just tremendous having that capability. And there was also a plan. He had a, a ham amateur radio station uh, set up aboard ship with a license with Caribus mm-hmm. so that oh, we wow. could do this. We were going to uh, simulate the radio distress calls that Earhart had oh. sent from Nicomororo. Now, you can't do an actual recreation. It doesn't prove anything. But we wanted to see who might be right. able to hear Who's us. Who's out there. Right. And oh, that's so, fun. And we would we would publish the frequencies and invite people to listen in. So wow, did, uh, did was there a lot of response to that? Oh, yeah. It was what's commonly known in ham radio parlance, parlance as a train wreck. And, <laughs> and it was we were just because so many people were trying oh, yeah. to. Oh, that's yeah, fun. Just, yeah, we would have just certain times we were going to do this, and everybody would correct for the right time zone and everything, but. Uh, as it turned out, he, he was just buried in requests. For... <laughs> I know they collect, uh, a lot of him operators collect contacts from over the world. It's like, a big just deal like somebody to do that. Or... However, and, and our original plan was to be able to accommodate that. But in order to accommodate that, you can't have the station on a ship. It's got to be on the land that you're oh, communicating really? with. Or it doesn't count. Oh, how about that? We were planning on having a station on the line. As it turned out, that turned out to be totally impractical. Uh, but we still talked to all, tons and tons of people. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, really. Yeah, well, I bet. So the fourth, by the fourth day out, we were 237 nautical miles from Niku and expecting to make landfall around sunup the next day. The, steez, the sea was still high. Too was high. that a time of the year thing, or just what the weather no, happened to be? No, it's not necessarily a time. Actually, in June, the weather, in terms of sky condition and so forth, is usually pretty good, huh. which means hot. You know? Right, good point. <laughs> but if, if the sun's shining, it's going to be hot. We really couldn't get much done aboard in terms of preparation, because it was, it was too rough. Uh, you, it's still one hand for the boat, one hand for yourself, just making your way around. And how many days did you spend doing that, getting there from Fiji? Well, it's, it's it's a five-day trip. Ah. The hope was that the closer we got to land, the sea was, would calm down, which they usually do. But it seems like such because, a little land in comparison to Yeah, the and the, the thing you worry about at Niku is two things. If, if the seas are rough at Niku... It makes getting in and out of the skiffs oh, to get the people ashore dangerous. a lot hairier. And then that 
darn landing channel, a blasted oh, landing channel, right. narrow cut through the coral. The situation in that channel is like a washing machine. It can be wow. really rough and, and dangerous. So we were really hoping that the, the seas were going to calm down. Day five, we're 59 nautical miles out and expecting to arrive at the island at about one o'clock in the afternoon. It's been a very rough passage and we're not, we're no longer doing nine and a half knots. We're down to eight knots. Mm -hmm. Even some of the crew <laughs> was seasick. Really? And that just doesn't happen, but, <laughs> but they were sick. Wow. And, and some of our people, uh, especially the, the, the new people, we, we had at least two, as I recall, sponsor team members, people who had paid a significant amount of money, but had completed all the training and everything to mm -hmm. come along. But they had no experience with this kind of thing. How do you One think they were reconsidering their investment? Well, <laughs> probably in the depths oh, of gosh. their nausea they were, I would think. <laughs> Yeah, well, one of them had actually been a sponsor team member aboard the 2012 trip oh. aboard the big University of Hawaii Oceanographic Research, 223 feet. Right, right. But old KOK didn't roll like Naya. I mean, <laughs> so he wasn't he at all wasn't accustomed to this. It. And yeah, they were, a lot of people were really sick. <laughs> it was so frustrating because everybody aboard was eager to get started and be ready to hit the ground running. Yeah. But... And yet you couldn't because of the, the weather. I, <laughs> yeah. I told Pat on the phone that it's kind of like a, the lineup for a Formula One race where everybody's, everybody's revved up and full of plans and excited and the starter can't find the green flag. <laughs> oh, no. So, but... We uh, did. We did get there. We arrived at Niku uh, about actually about fourteen hundred, about two o'clock in the afternoon. Got Naya bridled off to the wreckage of Norwich City. There, there was enough of an east wind. They were able to put one line on the shipwreck and another on a rock mooring that was set on by the shore. The, right, okay. j j just offshore uh -huh. by having the sail up. Pulling against those two lines, you can you can stabilize the ship and stay close to the island, and that that makes everything better. Wow. Otherwise, you have to at night more motor out several miles and just drift during the really? night, and then motor back in. Oh my gosh! You, you can't just hang out close in to that island, and wow. because if the wind changes, you'll be yeah on the oh yeah yeah. It, if the wind changes, and we, God, we had that happen in 2010. There, wow. there was one night where they were bridled off to Norwich City, and the wind changed during the night, and the guy who was uh, on watch had been into the cava oh, the night before oh, and had fallen asleep. This. I get a knock on my cabin door at 5 a.m. <laughs> Naya is on the reef. We oh. were we were hitting the reef. Oh my god! And wow. you know, there's already one ship on that reef. We didn't want to be <laughs> the other one, but we we got it off and and without any damage to the ship. But wow. that was the last thing you want.
So we're, we're there. We've, we've, we're tied off to Norwich City, and the divers go over the side to attach a, a transducer to the hull of Naya. It's a way to have a base signal the ROV can talk to so uh. that we can get accurate tracking and mapping hmm. for the ROV. So they were able to get that done. And the land team was getting ready to set up what we called a, a rope ferry. Now, I should explain. The, the work the land team was scheduled to do on this trip was to search for this Camp Zero uh, up on the northwest oh, right. end of the island near where the landing gear had ended up. Mm-hmm. So the airplane went into the water up there. So in theory, there was this initial campsite up that way, and we're going to mm-hmm. look for that. The trick there, though, <clears throat> is there's only one place to get ashore on Nicomarara. It's a room with one door, and that's that <laughs> landing channel. Hmm. So you have to go ashore at the landing channel and walk up till you get to the main lagoon passage. But then you've got to get across the passage somehow. And you can't wait. It, it, it's too deep. Oh. No, it's... And carrying equipment? And you've got equipment to carry. Holy cow. So how are you going to get across the passage? Because once you get across the passage, you got another mile to go oh. before you get up wow. to where you're going to work. All in all, the complete transit from the landing passage to where you're going to work is, is a mile and three quarters wow. each way. In that kind of heat, trudging mm-hmm. along in the sand. Yeah, a lot of well, fun. Well, your clothes will be dry. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so we came up with a plan for a rope ferry. You get an inflatable boat that'll carry five, six people. Mm-hmm. And you run a rope from a coconut palm on one side of the passage, across the passage to another coconut palm on the other side, pull it up tight, and pull yourself across by the oh, rope. Wow. It's, it's a rope ferry. <laughs> okay. So we're getting ready to do that, to get that rigged up. And we find out that our inflatable boat is bad out of the box. It's It's got oh, a, no. a bad valve. Oh, gosh. How, how without the being able to inflate the boat, we can't do the rope ferry, and oh. we're stuck. And, and it wasn't something that had been damaged in shipping. It was it was just bad. Wow. What we did was we got this uh, expanding foam stuff. We were able to inflate the boat and then seal off the valve with this oh. expanding foam. But that was a permanent thing. Oh, so then you had to deal with a full-size boat all, 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 all the and time. when yeah. we were done... The only what way to deflate do? it again would be to poke a hole in it. Yeah. But but we were able to get it inflated so it would stay inflated. Okay, problem solved. Hmm. And we got the rope ferry rigged and ready to go. Meanwhile, our ROV team, which was made up of the contractor and two Tiger members who had experience with ROVs, oh. were helping him. Mm-hmm. And they were readying the ROV for deployment and figuring to put it in the water tomorrow. Ah. Because you know, they hadn't been able to do it on the right. way out there. They a lot so of stuff now to they're, do. they're really getting all the, the technical stuff sorted out. Now, what the land team would be doing when we got up to the hypothetical Camp Zero area mm-hmm. was check out some things our forensic imaging spe- specialist, Jeff Glickman, mm-hmm. had spotted 
in some 1938 aerial photographs we had of the island that some things that didn't look quite right that might be indications of some human activity. Now, these 1938 photos were taken in December of 38 before there were any people on the island at all. So there shouldn't be any sign of any human activity unless it was sign of... Unless it was her. Her and Noonan. So he, he had spotted there's something here and there's something over here that doesn't look quite right, so we need to check those out. Through another source, we got some uh, synthetic aperture radar imagery of the the island, which also showed up these some of these same places. Oh, that, really? oh yeah, so they they still exist. Huh. Okay, we have them in 1938. They still exist. Where are they? Well, we've got GPS coordinates for those. Oh, interesting. So we had some very specific sites to check out hmm. back in the underbrush. So that's one of our jobs that we're going to do. So, so did we've you got, have to cut down that? Again well, you've to, got to hack your yeah, way yeah. in to these things with a GPS and you hand it, oh, we're on the right course. No, oh, that's over here. Yeah. Yeah, so you're, wow. you're going to do that. Hmm. By this time, we're on the, the sixth, sixth day now since we left Fiji. Mm-hmm. The seas are much diminished and everybody is up and functioning. Good. People are able to sleep and not sick anymore. Yeah, that's what we thought. But one of our sponsor team members who had been so sick during... He he told us he was fine. He was was good. He's ready for duty. Uh And so the next day, we're ready to really start work up at the Camp Zero area. Mm -hmm. And we've got to get all of our equipment up there. Bring it ashore at the landing channel and then hump it all the way to the rope ferry. Something we we noticed immediately as soon as we start moving along the beach is there had been another one of these big storms that had hit the island. Oh. We could tell from the condition of the newly growing vegetation that it had been several months since the storm. Hmm. And stuff was starting to come back. But the island had been clobbered again. Really? Did it look like all that had been wiped out when it was hit? Like all the scavola that oh, you yeah, usually have Oh, yeah, yeah, to... that, that's what happens. When wow. those storms hit that western side of the island, it takes out the scavola, it uh, it decapitates palm trees. Oh, really? Oh, it's, it's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And we could see that there are some new storm ridges. See, when the, the big ocean swells come ashore, it throws up the coral rubble and piles oh. up these berms. Of hmm. coral rubble, and the bigger the storm, the bigger the berms, and the further inland the berms go. Wow. We we got our stuff up to the work area, but on the way we we found out that our sponsor team member, who uh, said he was fine now, wasn't fine now. Uh, he was having a really hard time. Really. And we were having to take care of him. Was you know, he really dehydrated? Do you think? He wasn't dehydrated. He was just so weakened. And he was a big guy. Oh, no. But he was just so weakened by the whole time of being seasick. Oh, that's a shame. That he just, he really couldn't function. Okay. So So what did he do? Well, we got him up there and he just had to sit and rest while the rest of us went to work. I say the rest of us, except the other sponsored team member, who just sat in the shade. Really? 
like just wasn't willing he just, or interested? He, yeah, or? No, well, he just, it was kind of odd. He just, no, you guys go ahead. I'm, I'm going to stay here in, wow. in a shaded area. Well, okay. <clears throat> Jeez. So, so that's your land crew? Two of them now are out of commission? Well, I, I couldn't have that. Meanwhile, we find out that our GPS readings are disagreeing with the maps that we have. Oh, no, really? And you were counting on those? Yeah, to, I mean, the, the, the GPS thing is not working. Now, uh. we can still navigate with a compass and a measuring tape, but that's a lot harder yeah, and slower. Now, it turned out, once we got back, we learned that the GPS problem was not operator error. We thought we were screwing up. Uh, but there had been a geomagnetic storm. And, really? And everybody was having GPS problems. How did you discover that? Did that come across <clears throat> some of the communications? Again, we have great communications. Yeah, on this. yeah. <laughs> and we're making inquiries. We're having trouble with our GPS. Oh. Is anybody know a reason? Yeah, everybody's having problems with GPS. Oh, jeez. Uh, no, satellite was having a bad air day. Was that solved in the time that you were there? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, it, they, they got it sorted out, but it took a while. Mm. But after we got back, things calmed down. Everybody had, had their dinner. And, uh, I called these two SDMs together, mm -hmm. just privately. And I sat them down and I said, guys... We got we to gotta fix something here. You were affected more by that seasickness than you are willing to acknowledge. And you need to rest up until you can carry your own weight. Because when you go ashore with all the best intentions and aren't able to function, right. then we have to take care of you and it slows us down. So don't be a hero. You know, stay aboard and rest up so that when you do come ashore, you can be good for something. Sure. And I sure. told the other guy, I said, what's this business about sitting in the shade? He <laughs> said, well... What, what part of field camp gave you that impression? <laughs> well, he said, well, I've known a lot of people who've had a lot of trouble with skin cancer. And I'm really oh. concerned that if I spend a lot of time out in the sun that uh, I might have that problem. Look, we work in the sun. That's what we do. <laughs> so Didn't he have um, a hat? <laughs> yeah, well, he had a good hat. He had sunscreen. Oh, and he hadn't thought of this before. Well, it's one thing to volunteer. And it's another thing to get out there and see what it's really like. Yeah. Nobody's prepared for the sun at Niku. Oh. And it's a hammer. It really is. And mm. he just didn't understand what he had gotten himself into. But once he was there, you know, yeah. come on. <laughs> well, at, at first, he was highly offended that I would take him to task for something like this. <laughs> but to his real credit, he he went back and he thought about it a bit and thought about it a bit, and he came back to me and said, "No, I'm I'm ready to go to work. You know, I'm I'm wow. I'm ready to do it." And okay. the rest of the time, that was okay. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, he turned into a, a real powerhouse. 
Oh my. Um, oh, interesting. Now the ROV team had worked all day on getting the ROV set up mm-hmm. with and- high definition camera and uh, the laser scaler that we had, so that if we found something, we could tell how big it was. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that it, was a problem before. It, 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 doing that is really finicky work, but the only way to get it right is to make haste slowly. You got to get it right. So <laughs> they're working along getting that all set up. Until the GPS sorted itself out, we, we couldn't really check out these anomalies in the old photographs. Right, right. But there was something else we wanted to check. We, we reasoned, having seen what the vegetation was like along the shoreline, for the first 100, 150 meters, the vegetation is really very dense, and there's not much shade. We had figured that Earhart and Noonan would come ashore and set up a camp, and you'd want to do it in the shade, obviously. Yeah. If they're going to get shade, they're going to have to go in a ways. Hmm. And, but there's there's a buka forest, these big 90-foot tall, in some cases, trees really? that provide a lot of shade. And we'd been in Buca Forest before, down at the other end of the island where mm. the seven site is. And it, it's gorgeous in, in those Buca Forests. It's like a cathedral in uh. there. It's really nice. So we thought, well, okay. Um, we ought we to look for signs of a camp of some kind in the Buca Forest here. Mm. So we made our way back into the uh, Buca Forest and started looking around there. Meanwhile, we got word that they expected that the ROV would go into the water for test dives the ah. next day. And uh, we're just going to see how that goes. And then the next day, the dive team would begin their search operations. They, they had laid out their grids, and they were ready to go to work. Oh, so, okay, cool. it looks like things are going along okay. It's uh, day eight now since we left Fiji. Our uh, sponsor team member is digging into the scavola with his bush knife, just you know, <laughs> going to town and not being as careful as he needs to be. Oh, and no. he bounced it off his leg and opened up a nice cut. Oh, God. All right. We, we got it kind of taped back together. And when we got back aboard Naya that evening, our doctor, well, one of the dive team members was a physician. Uh. He, he sewed him up. Oh, really? I think he had like four or five stitches. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he turned into a real badass. <laughs> Were you using the drone? That well, Mark, our cameraman, mm-hmm. was able to get the drone up and working. And it turned out to be a great way to scout ahead of the land team in thick scavola. Ah. It's, it's like having aerial reconnaissance up yeah. there because he's got a screen that shows what the drone is seeing. Oh, how about that? So, so, you, so you could see we, if there we've was got a our own predator out there yeah. uh, scouting ahead. Oh, interesting. And that turned out to be really handy. Hmm. So he was working with alongside. Yeah, he was the, he was out there with with the the land team, crew. but searching for any sign of a campsite or anything unusual. Is there, there's a real knack to it because you can't decide what must be there and go look for it. You can't look for anything. You just have to look at what's mm. there, and you look at everything. Is this just like all the other stuff? And if not, why? 
why is this different? Hmm. And it's, it's a whole way of seeing and looking. Doing it that way, you are able to find evidence that somebody else has been here, that this is human activity. And we did find signs of, of human activity. Uh, some trash. Really? You know, like an old wash pan. Uh-huh. Very, very rusted. Nothing that you could so connect to. from what time period? Well, do you guess? this would be from the time the island was inhabited. Right. Now, this area was never settled. There were there was never anybody living here. But you could see but that people mean have gone there. People up in here. Right. And they they left things behind like people always do. And then the other thing that happens is you find little things, pieces of plastic. You know, how did this get way up here? Well, we figured probably the birds pick them up uh, and then care. Because that area has a lot of sooty turns. These uh, little little dark dark uh-huh. turns. And they build nests in the trees. Hundreds and hundreds of these. Oh, gosh. And they, like most birds, they find stuff that's useful for a nest. And yeah, if they yeah. find trash out at the beach that they can pick up and they bring it in. So you end up with this plastic trash way back uh-huh. in. And water from the surf never gets there, right? Well, we, we didn't know, uh, except after a while, working back in there, you start to see coconuts. How did these coconuts uh-huh. get way back in here? Because there's no coconut trees here. <laughs> As uh, as we learn from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, coconuts don't migrate. You know? <laughs> right. And we didn't have any African swallows that could carry them. You know? <laughs> so th- there were a lot of jokes about we that. We need sound effects here. <laughs> yeah. Well, so did you f- assume then that water well, had at least run through The only it? way these coconuts could have gotten here is if they were washed in here, which means at some time the water got up this far. Wow. And how high is that land? Do you guess off the off the? Well, the... how high? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I don't know exactly. But did you have to hike up? No, a lot n- to get not to it? you. You were never um, consciously walking up a wow. hill on this part of the island. Okay. It, there was obviously some elevation. Right. Right. But it was probably less than a meter. I don't know. Uh-huh. But it's a long way. The the water had to. And the coconuts, the coconuts had are to on get, the other end of the island. Had to they? get through all that scavola, but of course, when those waves come ashore, they just tear up the scavola yeah. Yeah, and, wow. and pile it up, and later it rots down. <laughs> we also found that lunches were a problem. Bringing stuff in a mile and three quarters—it's heavy. You, know, you, you have to bring it in if you have sandwiches, drinks that you want to be cold. There's going to be ice. Yeah. You're talking about some fairly heavy coolers that you've got to carry mm. all that way. And then you break for lunch and you're too tired to eat anyway. <laughs> but so, you have to, I mean, this everyone working there has to drink a lot. Well, yeah, and you have to have yeah. the water. You, you've got to bring in the water that, that you're going to use. And that's heavy. Mm. Well, how long was your work day in general? Oh, you go ashore. Usually first boat over the side, uh, 7, 7.30. So had everyone had a good breakfast before Oh, that? yeah, and you'd so had you'd a good a breakfast. breakfast you'd and a good then... breakfast. You'd work, uh, you'd, you'd just figure things so that you're back at the landing 
so that we could get everybody back out to the ship before dark. You don't want to deal with that landing no. in, oh, gosh, in the dark, which is around 5.30, 6 p.m. Oh, really? But the actual work day on site, it takes a couple to three hours to get there right. once you're ashore. Right. And Especially another couple, three time. hours. So it's it's not a really long work day when you're up there. And it's still not like you're not working getting there, though. I mean, you're oh, right. working the whole time. Right. Hmm. One of the things that the Naya crew did that really helped out is they if, if the sea wasn't too rough, they could bring a, a skiff up to the reef and make a transfer onto the reef with a cooler of, uh. of food and some water. So they could resupply us with our lunch, oh. so we wouldn't have to carry all oh, that's our a own good idea. lunch stuff. You but still, how close were they to your site, though? Is it still no, a well, mile? Well, when when Naya was standing off Norwich bridled City. to Norwich City, they, they were quite close. Uh. It wasn't wasn't a big deal for them to. And they were close to where you were working, too. Yeah, okay. yeah, and so they would just bring it in. Well, we we would meet them down at the beach. We didn't ask them to bring the stuff back into the bush. Oh, right, sure. We meet sure. with the bush. But basically, everybody was living on some kind of salty chips and cookies and, and water. You, they, they would they would bring sandwiches, but yeah. you just didn't have the appetite. To, you, you were hungry, but uh, it's hard to explain. <laughs> you get it. It sounds hard to eat, too. Well, meanwhile, the dive team uh, had their baseline laid out and started searching. They're going down as deep as 140 feet, which we agreed was the limit mm-hmm. for what they could sur- safely do. But when you go to 140 feet, you've only got like 10 minutes down there. Right, right. And then you've got to transition back up and decompress and then... You've got to off gas, yeah, for hours. So, so what was their schedule basically? Were they doing a, a long dive in the morning? Yeah, they, and... they they would get in two dives a day, okay. pretty much, as I recall. Uh-huh. That sounds like the job you want. Instead of working <laughs> in the heat for yeah, hiking three miles, they, ways yeah, to get there and... they were kind of guilt tripped about it. <laughs> I mean, there's like nothing that. they could do about it, but. That's yeah, that's that's the job you want. <laughs> Meanwhile, the ROV still has a problem. Oh no, you're kidding. Yeah, as soon as they put the thing in the water, all the systems shut down. Oh jeez. So they get on the phone to the manufacturer and they're going to be figuring out uh. what's going on, but okay, they assure us that oh, it's just we can work this out. Don't worry about it. Mm. Day nine. Our theory that the Buca Forest would be a good place to set up the camp didn't hold up very well because this particular Buca Forest, because of where it is on the island, is quite different from the Buca Forest we knew from the other end of the island because this Buca Forest is in the lee of the prevailing wind. Hmm. So there's no breeze Uh. and it's kind of stifling in there and with all these sooty turns there's bird droppings everywhere <laughs> it it's damp it's clammy it's hot and it stinks 
Oh, and that sounds it's miserable. Not where you'd want to be. <laughs> so this, but we worked. We laid out our search lines and conducted our metal detector mm. sweeps and didn't find anything. Maybe it's more likely that they chose a place down by the beach under one of the larger trees down there. Because there, there are some larger trees down there. Another problem with being up in the Buca Forest is you can't see the reef from there. Uh, and they're watching their airplane. Right. And, and I, I, we're not sure, but we think that Fred Noonan was injured. So maybe well, walking yeah. anywhere. Yeah, uh, if, if you've got a, an injured Fred... Uh, getting him back through that tangle of scabola yeah, into a uh, stinky buka forest just doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It, mm-hmm. So let's concentrate more down by the beach and see if there's any sign of a Camp Zero there. So how did that go? Well, when you look at that area from that perspective... What you see are these berms of coral rubble that have been thrown up by the storms. If 80-some years ago, somebody builds a little camp right here, what's going to be left after 80 years of storms throwing up piles of coral rubble Really? here? This isn't working. The the whole Camp Zero thing, maybe there was a Camp Zero, but if there was... It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that that sounds fairly hopeless. All right. Well, no plan survives contact with the enemy, so uh-huh. um, we we still need to check out these spots that uh, were spotted in the old photography and verified in more modern synthetic aperture radar to see what's going on there. As soon as the GPS is up and working again, we'll want to do that. Mm. And the the ROV, they're just just working on it. That's oh, it. Oh, we got we got back to the ship, and hey, the ROV's fixed. Oh, and we've tested it successfully. Next time it goes in the water, it'll be for real. Uh, that the the problem turned out to be a, a bad thruster, oh. which was replaced, and uh, great team effort by our guys in communication with the manufacturer. It's fixed. Wow. So, with any luck, we'll be able to get down there and see what that anomaly is that we think might be a Lockheed Electra. It's 613 feet down there, and we need to go take a look at it. So, they actually got it underwater running and sending pictures. Okay, well, that's hopeful. Yeah, no, Hmm. finally it's working. Hmm. So is the dive team having any luck? They actually found a man-made object. <laughs> One? <laughs> it was, it was, really? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they found a, a piece of line, like fishing line, with some hardware on it. And they brought it up and uh, the, our crew, the, the Naya crew, was able to identify it as a, a kind of attachment to line that's used in long lining fishing. Oh, uh, tuna okay. long lining. Oh, huh. In fact, the chef aboard Naya had an identical piece of hardware that uh, she used as a keychain. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So, okay, so the dive team found something. 
But again, they, they can only dive for 30 minutes at a time. Right. And have to recover for a correspondingly greater time. So two dives a day. Well, what else were they doing? <laughs> when they were off-gassing, at least on one occasion, they did come ashore to help us. Oh, okay. But well, they're not dressed for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they quickly figured out that getting from the water up onto the reef, even on a calm day, is no joke. Uh. It's, it's really difficult. So that wasn't terribly practical. They, they wanted to help, but there wasn't a whole lot they could do. We were, of course, eager to uh, find out how the ROP made out when we got back at the end of the 10th day. But we found out that it's the ROV was still not operational. What happened? Well, there were still some things that needed adjustment. Oh, um, oh how frustrating. The, the, the contractor was so frustrated. He's, you know, he... He offered to jump overboard holding a cannonball and go look at the anomaly himself. At 630 yeah, feet? Oh, yeah. right. We, you we, could we, do we that said, once. Yeah. So that's <laughs> probably not a good idea. Hmm. But, uh, and it was no surprise that we're having trouble with advanced technology at NICU. I mean, well, that's that, kind of the story of our life. That is true. It's a terrible environment. Even for machinery that's designed to operate underwater. It's... it's yeah. a, it's really rough. They kept working, and we kept hoping. The next day, the land team found uh, three men made objects. Oh. Yeah, yeah. They, they found a three- to four-gallon capacity uh, metal container. Uh. And nothing from an airplane. I mean, it was just a, a rusty bucket sort of thing. Uh. It was galvanized, had handles on it, just sitting there. Wow. Found a green plastic disposable cigarette lighter. Uh, Coast Guard issue. (laughs) Probably not Fred Noonan's. No. Uh, (laughs) Uh, And a a length of heavy wire, almost uh, like a thin rod. Mm -hmm. But nothing that could be identified. It's it's not stainless steel. It's rusted. And it's been there Uh, for a long time. But there's nothing you can say about it. Hmm. Do you take them back anyway and have, uh, yeah, have them analyzed? Yeah, we, we probably did. Cl- I, yeah. I probably got them oh. <laughs> along with <laughs> hundreds of other things we had. Uh, hmm. And that's one thing. And if if we collect anything from Nicomora, we have to hold on to it like forever. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's the deal hmm. until Caribus tells us what to do with it, whether they want it back or says or say throw it away or whatever. Wow. With the ROV, there were still some problems, but an issue with the optics on the camera had been resolved, and the navigation system was working. Oh, good. The, the readings were flipped, but that's a software problem. They felt that that could be debugged, mm-hmm. and that they were, in fact, able to fix that. Oh, good. So by the end of that day... Everything seemed to be working properly. Good. And they did another test dive, this time to 150 meters. Huh. Now, right at this moment, only the standard definition camera was working. But the high definition camera should be up and running the next day. Okay. And the scaling 
laser is on the high definition camera. So oh, so, so you, that's a must. Right. So we right. really need that high definition camera working with us. So they us. knew there was something wrong with it, but they knew they could fix it. So yeah. that it was going to be okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's promising. Yeah. We were assured. Well, and they felt assured that by tomorrow, they'd have 100% operational capacity. Wow. That was a good thing because we looking at the weather charts, uh, within a couple of days, the wind is going to drop off and the boat will not be able to hold an accurate station. Oh. You see, with an ROV... So it needs to have the boat in the same the, place. Yeah, the oh. ROV is tethered to the boat by an umbilical and you've got to keep the boat stable. Oh, <laughs> You can't right. have the boat drifting all over the place, dragging right. the ROV around. So... Hmm. It was good that they were sure that we'd, we'd be in operation. The next day, the the dive team uh, decided that uh, they'd take the day off and help us with the land team. And so they they, they came ashore dressed for, for field Working work. Working ashore. Meanwhile, there's been another geomagnetic storm, and the G GPS units are pretty much useless. Wow. Does until... that mean everyone's are? Like the military GPS units and the... Yeah. Really? Yeah. That yeah, could be it a was problem. a mess. Well, okay, maybe tomorrow we'll get that ROV in the water and uh, see what we can accomplish. Wow. How many more days do you have at that point? Well, let's see. Um, it's now our 12th day since leaving Fiji, and uh, we've got about uh, 10 days left. But you only have a couple of days that you know the wind is going to be good for for, for using the ROV. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But we don't know how long the wind is going to be a problem, so we're still right. hoping so everything still will work time. out. The the next day, the ionosphere did settle down, and we were able to get good GPS oh, responses. We're able to navigate to these places we were supposed to check out. Good. And do a thorough you you navigate to that spot and then you do a thorough eyeball search around whatever the point was and metal detector around there we did that were you able to find the the anomalies that yeah seen? uh in some cases in some cases there was nothing there at all oh in other cases there was a big fallen tree oh huh. that uh with light colored bark or something that would make right. it show up but right the bottom line was that uh, there was nothing of any consequence, but <laughs> something funny happened that day. I've talked about our one sponsor team member who had been concerned about uh, skin cancer. Yes. But then had gotten <laughs> all enthusiastic, but ended up cutting himself. Yes. Four or five stitches worth. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're sitting there around at lunchtime, and he's, these stitches have healed and they're really starting to pull. Anybody got a pair of scissors or anything? Oh. I want to get rid of these stitches. He was he sure, was sure he was ready. He, he, he wanted those stitches out. Oh. But nobody had any scissors. I mean, it's not a tool yeah. we use. Yeah, I thought it really. <laughs> but we had a pair of pliers. And he said, give me the pliers. Oh, no. Really? <laughs> and he sat there and took his stitches out with the pliers. Oh, gosh. Was he <laughs> able to cut them? This is the guy who was concerned. Oh my gosh! Let's Nick find would, the 
the least sterile place we could do it with an unsterile tool. <laughs> the rules are different oh, on Niku. Gosh. Wow. <laughs> it changes people. <laughs> oh God. It's crazy. Well I, I had to laugh. Did that, that work out? <laughs> yeah, he was fine. <laughs> he got rid of his stitches. Oh gosh. Okay, back at the ROV. Some more adventures. They changed over to the high definition camera which involved terminating a, a cable. It's, it's a complex and delicate job. And if you don't get it exactly right, you have to start over. That doesn't sound good. While they're working on that, they discover that there's a power problem while testing the uh, thing at depth. Oh. So once again, we were assured that uh, they'd be able to get it all fixed and uh, it'll be ready tomorrow. for service by the next day. Wow. Yeah. This is becoming a recurring theme. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> they must really dread their uh, your briefings at the end of the day, having to report. Oh, these, they were uh, beside themselves. Mm. They were working so hard, uh, and they were so frustrated. Everything they ran up against, they said, okay, there's this problem, but we should be able to fix this. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's going to take a little more time. It's going to take a little <laughs> more time. Hmm. The next day, we didn't do any more work up at the Camp Zero site because by that time, <laughs> we had pretty much decided that if there was once a Camp Zero, there's no Camp Zero anymore. And the anomalies that were seen in the old photographs aren't anything. So that whole hypothesis had been tested and found to be without merit. Hmm. Other things that uh, thought might be useful to do, I went out in a skiff with our... Still photographer, Lori Rubin, fantastic photographer. And we tried to recreate the Bevington photo. Ah. The the picture of the shipwreck that also showed the, oh, the object see. sticking up on right. the reef. We right. wanted to see if we could recreate that photo by getting in exactly the right position relative to the island and what's and left of the ship. The shipwreck hasn't moved. It's just... <laughs> gone farther down, it's farther gone, in. <laughs> yeah, it, there's a lot less of it now than there used to be, but it hasn't moved at all. So you were <clears> trying <throat> to set it up, and then Mark was going to photograph it from the air. I mean, the that... no, no, we, we we just wanted to to see. Okay, so Bevington must have been here, and so oh, I thought that was shot from an airplane, not the Bevington photo yeah, yeah. no no uh, the, Bevington didn't have an airplane with him I didn't realize um, that's how no, that Be was done Bevington was aboard a ship ah and I thought I'd that's seen another it. thing we were curious okay did he take this photo from aboard the ship or was or was it lowered down so he must have been in a launch of some right, kind right so huh. we're trying to recreate that we couldn't get it exactly largely because Lori's camera and lens are so different from what Eric Bevington had. Uh, so the image you see sense. is different and the geometry was not reproducible. Hmm. So there's a bunch of interesting photos, but nothing that's terribly useful. Hmm. We had some other people doing some work in the village looking for more aluminum because we had found aluminum in the village before. And they searched in the village, but again, there had been another storm. There was more washover, and there was there was nothing there. 
There were some places on the reef around the Norwich City wreckage that the synthetic aperture radar picked up that could be interpreted as maybe being not shipwreck wreckage. Oh. And we had a team out there looking at those. Hmm. Because now we could navigate to them because we had working GPS. Right. Yeah, there should be something. But it was all shipwreck wreckage. Oh. So we all end up back at the at the landing channel and to be picked up by the skiff. But in the meantime, the seas have really kicked up. We're oh. we're getting twelve foot swells running down through the channel. Oh my when, god. When really? it's like that, it gets exciting. Just oh, getting geez. people into the skiff. I can imagine. With a twelve foot swell running you got to time so things. they would break on the beach and wash up at 12 feet yeah wow yeah you you have to wait until a wave goes through and things calm down and then you get on really fast get, get and everybody surf it out, out. The skiff and get it turned around and headed back oh out my gosh and then you've got this mountain coming at you yeah and you have to go up over that and the fijians were the ones navigating that skiff. oh yeah there's a, a, a fijian driving driving the boat mm. that whole process is uh, dangerous and <laughs> and we made the decision that, look if it's no better than this tomorrow nobody's gonna go ashore yeah really yeah, we we can't deal with this mm. we're not here to hurt people and the next day, indeed, the channel was was too rough. It was not reasonable to put people ashore. So we didn't. Wow. Everybody just stayed aboard and worked on their notes. And, was uh, it nice on the on the boat? Was there a breeze oh, yeah. where you yeah, were? Yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's rocking back and forth. But not but, so hot. But not like when you're underway at sea. Oh, sure. No, right. Meanwhile, the dive team had uh, finished up their gridded survey of the reef, and they, they hadn't found anything. Except one thing, and totally by accident. It, it was a metal object, and we know it's metal because they checked it with a metal detector, about a foot long by maybe, maybe more like 18 inches long by about 6 inches wide with some shape to it, but nothing definable a lot of coral growth on it firmly embedded in the coral you couldn't budge this thing and it was only in 25 feet of water huh it, it was in shallow water but it was way north of norwich city up near the bevington object location ah uh. and there shouldn't be any shipwreck wreckage right up there right and then one of the divers scraped at the thing with his knife, mm-hmm. scra- scraped off the coral growth, and it was shiny, huh. but almost immediately turned black. Oh. And so they came back aboard that night and, um, and told us about it. It's, wow. Um, you know, that could conceivably be a piece of airplane wreckage. If, if it's shiny like that, it, it's probably not... Not steel. But turning black immediately, is does that happen in salt? Well, one of the... Th- like- we didn't know it at the time, but it later when we were able to research the, the effect, <clears throat> it turns out that cast aluminum that has a high 
magnesium content. We'll do that. Ah. If, if so cast aluminum could be fairly thick. There, like there the was cast aluminum or? in the landing gear uh, uh, supports that attached the landing gear to the, the wing nacelle that, that carried the, the structure. There was some similarity in the shape. At least you could convince yourself there was. But all we knew at that time was this thing is, is interesting and we should go and figure out some way to recover it. Hmm. So tomorrow we'll, we'll, we'll go back and, and look wow. at that thing. So, Were they able to identify where it was so they could go back? They, they made a note of where it was. Okay. The, of course, you can't take GPS underwater. Right. So the right. diver diver would have to go to the surface and take a reading. Am, am I still right over the thing? It's, right. uh, so it's approximate, best huh. you can do. Well, How did they make out the next day finding it? They couldn't. Oh. They tried to go back and find it, and they, they could not find it. Rats. Hmm. Yeah. Did anybody take a picture of it? Did, mm. did they? Oh, yeah. We've, we've got, got photographs got... of it. We, we call it the embedded object. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Which is got, still. We, we've got still photo, We've got video of it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But it was really hard to see. They found it by accident. They were just swimming along, and somebody noticed it and said, that looks odd. Uh, and they looked at it and said, I, that looks like it might be a piece of metal. And uh, then they brought a metal detector over and checked it. Oh, okay. And the metal so detector went them. off. They, yeah, yeah, that's metal. Wow. And then, of course, they scrape it and everything. They couldn't find it again. It's it's yeah. really hard to see. I guess you have to just get just the right angle on yeah. it. But the big concern, of course, we still had is we're running, we're starting to run out of time. And we're we're not having any luck with this ROV. Right. Every time we turn around, there's another problem. Meanwhile, while we're still ho trying and hoping to get the ROV working, there is an issue of a ledge that was at a depth of 200 feet. The, the, the divers, it was too deep for the divers to go look at. We wanted to examine it. One of the members of the ROV team had brought along his own small home-built ROV. Oh, that's cool. And they tested it out, and it seemed to work fine. Now, it couldn't go to the 600-foot depth that we needed to check the anomaly, but it could go to 200 feet and oh. might be usable for checking the, the, the ledge down there. They, they thought that, that would probably be worth a try. Huh. All right, next day, day 15, channel is again too rough for safe operations wow everybody was suited up they had all their supplies they're ready to go and they were willing to tackle the channel even though it looked really bad and rob the co-owner of naya said no we're not going to do it and i had to agree with him hmm. no it's 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 not worth the risk so the land team stood down the ROV team deployed the little home-built ROV mm -hmm. and got about 45 minutes of video using a, a, a GoPro camera that our cameraman, Mark Smith, provided for Ah, So that's more than you had from the big one. Oh, right? was, yeah, we didn't have anything from the big one. Right. Now we've got, they were able to get it down to that ledge and look around for about 45 minutes. Uh -huh. 
until it got hung up, snagged on something. Oh. And they tugged at it, worked on it, and they it broke free, and they got it back to the surface, and it was in pieces. Oh, no. <laughs> it was totally wrecked. Uh. But a lot of it was salvageable. And how about the GoPro? The Did GoPro it... came through just fine, and we got the video. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were able to look at the video, and there's nothing of interest in the video. Uh. As for the big ROV that had given us so much trouble and was still not working... The final diagnosis of that is that the the motherboard for one of the onboard computers had gone bad. Oh, gosh. Day 16. Uh, How is everybody by this time? Are people working together like a team still? Or are there, people everybody's were, spirits people are were, good? No, the people were doing fine. The, uh, everybody felt really bad for the ROV team. Oh, yes. They were working so hard, and they felt so frustrated. The land team were tired. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, they're still hanging in there. Everybody's... And still enthusiastic after all of that? Enthusiastic? Yeah. Or no. at least doing their jobs. Determined. Okay. Would be the word. Okay. Yeah, they're just kind of grit their teeth and mm. say, "No, we're we've got to do this." This particular day, we're talking about June twenty third now, the sixteenth day since we had left Fiji. The sea was considered to be calm enough to get people ashore. Ah. It still wasn't great. Hmm. It was still kind of a wild ride down that channel but it was good enough so that we were going to give it a shot and uh, one one team went down to the seven site at the other end of the island now we didn't have a boat in the lagoon so they had to walk there oh and they they walked down the south side of the island around the point and up to the seven site and just to see what it was like, just to hmm. check on it. And predictably, it was a disaster. It was all grown in with scabola, nine, ten feet tall. Wow. The uh, tree that, the wren tree that we had always speculated that was the tree where the bones were found under it. Right. Uh, had fallen over. Oh. The trees get old and die and they yeah, fall Yeah, and it's over. a long time. Uh, Mark Smith's camera platform that he erected in 2010, and remember this is five years later, was, well, the aluminum ladders that it was made from were still there, but the the plywood that made the platform that he had created was all rotted. Uh, yeah. Things just rot away on that. Mm, it sounds harsh. Yeah. But Mark got some great video of the all grown over site with the drone. Huh. So, you know. Oh, right. They, that would make sense. They at least documented that. And I, I was I was back aboard Naya this particular day. The team came back aboard and I could tell immediately that something was wrong. Normally, people come back from the island and they're full of stories about what we did, what we did, and they're eager to get a beer. And oh, yeah. And uh, talk about what went right, what went wrong. And they were 
just quiet. Oh. And I didn't see one of them. I, I, where's, where is he? Well, the, the, the like guy they who came, been, on, came on board and just Well, he had he'd come on board. I, I assumed he'd come on board, but I hadn't seen him. And the others were just acting really strange. And I, I finally called him over and said, what's going on? We almost lost him. Lost him? Lost what are you talking about? Who? Well, the, the the guy that was acting as as the team leader, Tiger veteran, been on many expeditions. What happened? That, well, they were in the skiff, coming back out the channel, and he was up in the bow of the skiff, standing up, which you often do, uh, holding a a rope right. on the front, bracing yourself. And I've done it many times myself. But there was one of these huge swells coming up the the, the channel. And they went into that swell, and that skiff pitched up in the air, and he went right in the air with it, oh ten feet God. in the air, and came down and bounced off the side of the skiff, which is inflatable, so it didn't hurt him. Right. But he ended up in the water. Wow. In the channel, in which is water. only about thirty feet wide. Wow. And it's like I said, it's it's like a washing machine in there, and. He wasn't wearing a flotation device because mm-hmm. you don't in there. But intentionally, we we don't wear uh, life vests or flotation devices because if you do go in the water, you want to be able to duck under the coming swells. Oh, you don't right. want to get bashed against the coral edges. But in this case, he went in and he came up under the boat. Wow. And, of course, they had to immediately stop the engine because they didn't right. want to slice him up. Right. But he was he was stuck in there under under the boat, disoriented. Oh. He was down for they figured close to three minutes. Oh my God! Before really? they were able, to, he he got off to one side. They spotted him and they dragged him aboard. Oh my gosh! It was the closest we had ever come to losing somebody. Wow! And for wow. me, it was that was always my worst nightmare. Yes, I I can imagine. Being the guy he was, he was mostly embarrassed. Oh, yeah. really? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, for causing so much trouble. And oh, jeez. No. Wow. I was delighted that he was okay. Um, little, not much the worse for wear. He hadn't been banged up or anything. Mm. He just almost but dropped. Still, that's it's all. horrifying. But after we got home, I was telling this story to my father, who uh, had been uh, a B seventeen pilot during World War II and had flown many missions over Germany and had never lost a crew member or lost an airplane. But I told him this. He said, oh, my God, Rick, if you had lost a member of your crew, you'd have never forgiven yourself. God, I can't. And I said, you're right. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's the way you feel about something like that. Yeah. Oh. The ROB, by the way, motherboard Toast. couldn't be fixed. <laughs> now, the dead motherboard. Oh, why did we? Why did we even ask? Uh, there had been a, a power surge that occurred during the course of the repairs that oh. killed the motherboard. In any case, the ROB was complete bust. Hmm. The homemade ROV had only gone to two hundred feet and yeah. then came up in bits and pieces. Um, <laughs> 
Camp Zero thing had been everything uh, had turned out to be. It does not want to be discovered. Nothing. They decided to take one more try to get something down to where the anomaly supposedly was. They took an underwater video camera on a long line with a, with weights, and we figured where it must be, and we just set that. No, it wasn't a video camera. It was a um, still camera with a motor drive. Oh, so it was going to take a series of still shots? You just, we're just going to lower this thing see. down and rotate it around and, and oh, see if we can see anything. This was known as the the Hail Mary. Um, <laughs> of course, it was. Yeah. The, hmm. Well, how did that go? Oh, we got the thing down there, and we got uh, four hundred and thirty-two images. Oh. Yep. Hmm. Were they in focus? They were in focus. We could see topography. We could see details in some of them. Of the of the four hundred and thirty-two images. We could see details in between 100 and 150 of them. Uh-huh. So we got some information. Some interesting things were visible, like fish. Oh, I <laughs> and bet. Some unusual fish. <laughs> and, yeah, that's deep. But there was no geological explanation for the anomaly was seen. But there was no electrofuselage. Uh, were you able to see, actually see the anomaly? No, no. There, oh, so we saw we saw nothing that accounted nothing that for would this. Have, so okay. we were probably in the wrong location. Yeah. Oh, rats. And we had no way of knowing that. They worked with that hail mary system right up until a couple of hours before we had to leave the island. Oh, jeez. Something else that that had happened in these last couple of days is that this other expedition that we talked right. about last time, right. the the tourist expedition, right. had arrived mm-hmm. a couple days before with 61 people oh, that were going to go ashore and search for Amelia Earhart. And I had gone over to the big cruise ship and I had briefed them on what we had done and what we found and what they should watch out for and I'd give them as much information about the island as I could. And then the next day I had taken a whole bunch of them on the whole trek up to the Camp Zero area. Oh, really? Now, and how did they get onto the island? Through the they, same way that you did? Same, through the, oh, the channel. The, the, the water had calmed down. Of course. <laughs> and stayed calm for the whole time they were there. Really? They had the best sea conditions that any of us had <laughs> ever had, fortunately. Wow. I, I, I gave them a, a, a tour, both of the, the village, and then took a gang of them up to the to the Camp Zero area and showed them, this is where we've looked, this is what it's like, and so forth. Left the rope ferry for uh-huh. them. We just <laughs> left that with them. Hmm. So they were there, they all came ready to work? I mean, yeah. that was the deal? We, we left after a couple of days and they stayed on for another two, three days. They collected a whole bunch of stuff. Hmm. As I kind of expected they would from the the old from the village right stuff that utterly meaningless and you have to catalog it and I have to catalog it and curate it and it's (laughs) Hmm. just some just ridiculous stuff that should never have been removed from the island but Hmm. there you go huh 
That was the end of the 2015 expedition. Wow. So we, what about the going back? How were the seas going back to Fiji? The trip back to Fiji was another rough one. And whatever happened to the sponsor that just was so weak from the trip? He he got over his weakness from the seasickness and and worked well. Oh, good. Uh, within oh, a good. couple, no, he was he was fine. Oh, good. Everybody did a fantastic job. Hmm. I just felt really bad that we couldn't <laughs> have more results. Especially the ROV was one of your biggest expenses. Yeah. To have to pay to get it there. Well. And then- the ROV contractor came to me um, before we left the island. He said, I, I can't charge you for this because hmm. we weren't able to perform. Yeah, well, that part is true, but it also seems like a waste. I mean, well, that's... yeah, but well, what are you going to do? I mean, right. the, the things right. work out the way they do. Yeah. It, it was it was pretty depressing. The bad luck didn't stop once we got back to Fiji. We uh, had airline reservations to go home the next day, mm-hmm. and the carrier Air Pacific bumped every one of us. Oh no! <laughs> oh, they gosh. had overbooked the flight. You're kidding! Way overbooked the flight. <laughs> and we get to the airport. We're standing in line. We're more than ready to go home. <laughs> yeah. And no, sorry. Now, oh, now we've got to find some place. Naya had already left yeah. to go back to where it's based. We got to find some place. So we had to find oh, places for people to stay. And it, it was. And then your your flights from LAX were all. all well, those, we had to rebook miss? those. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it was. Um, it wasn't that much fun. That sounds really frustrating. <laughs> Wow. But we, we still determined, after we got back, we said, we got to figure out what's going on. You know, there's, is there anything more we can do? Are there reasons why things didn't work out well? There's still more work to do, and we need to wrap our heads around everything we've accomplished in the last um, 30-odd years yeah. on this thing. So there was there was still more to be done in the whole question of expeditions to Nicomororo. And um, we'll talk about that the next time. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you, Rick. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Earhart Expeditions is a serial history of Tiger's 12 expeditions to the South Pacific. We release a new episode each Tuesday. You can receive special bonus episodes and get access to Tiger's extensive video library by becoming a premium subscriber. Just go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search on Tiger, T-I-G-H-A-R. You can also be a part of the adventure and participate in research. Go to tiger.org and click on Join Tiger. See you next Tuesday.